This is Don't Sell the Farm. Listen, friend, God does not have to say to us again, I want you to go out and witness him. 1900 years ago, Jesus said to us, Go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. He does not have to say one more word. Those are our marching orders. We need no signs from heaven. We need no urging of the Spirit. We have a command that has never been rescinded. Every believer is commanded to go and witness for Jesus Christ. Those orders have never been rescinded. The urgency of the hour is into all the world, and we do not have for Forever to preach this gospel, but time is running out. Well, we're back with the highly anticipated uh, Tom Payne Part Two episode. We're sincerely sorry for the delays. There's been a couple of things that have come up, uh, delaying the release schedule of this podcast. I think what we're going to try and do uh, is get to a um, bi-monthly schedule. So every other week, approximately, we'll be trying to release an episode. Um, there's a, a serious amount of editing and thought that goes into uh, putting out a podcast. So um, when we originally started, you know, it was just me and Aaron getting together. We had a a simple lapel microphone setup would plug that into my phone started to realize that the audio quality was lacking and um, began to try and improve there uh, so we we've stepped up our game there but that just means a lot more uh, editing and, and time goes into producing a, a quality episode uh, with that said we've got uh, some future guests coming up um, that I ask that you write in uh, your questions. Uh, our email is don't sell the farm ph at gmail.com. So uh, please send us your questions for our future guests in no particular order. Uh, we've got three confirmed um, Pastor Artie Aragon, Pastor Dwayne Renz, and Pastor Greg Mitchell. Uh, definitely coming up. Possibly some other guests in between. Um, likely some evangelists and uh, others like that as we go throughout the next few weeks um, leading up to conference. Um, Pastor Payne mentioned a couple of books in today's episode. Um, we'll link those in the description. Zacharias, Tanny Fomum. He mentioned uh, that author's name. So I'll link... Uh, his bio page on Amazon in the description. Um, there was some talk, uh, and maybe we'll release uh, bonus content. We finished the podcast, but continued to talk to uh, Pastor Payne for a while, and I didn't hit the, the stop record button, so I've got some bonus content that may be coming uh, to be determined. But in that, he mentioned, uh, and, and during the podcast, he mentioned and made reference to a book, um, called After the Flood. Uh, the author's name escapes me at the moment, but we'll link that in the bio as well. So thank you for listening and enjoy today's episode. So so you took over the church in Gallup, New Mexico, here in the States, and then you also took over two other churches, one in Kenya and then one in Perth, West Australia. So can you give us any tips for taking over 
a church and to even go a little further was there any major differences in doing that overseas as compared to here in the states yeah absolutely and just to um for accuracy i actually um have taken over las vegas was eight months old all right i pioneered one church in new york and then i took over farmington and i took over in kenya I was in Gallup and I took it in Perth. So, oh, wow. Okay. So that's been my, um, uh, my experience. And so, yes, you know, advice for taking over or perspective is that, um, my, my advice for any pastor that's going to take over churches, make it your goal to gain momentum immediately in evangelism and fill the church with new converts. Um, be patient. One of the things the pastor can do when taking over a church is he feels he can see all the things that need to be fixed Mm. and um, can be very unwise. Um, And and so in a perfect world, you want to befriend and elevate and, um, and, and speak well of the pastor that you're taking over from. Right. Yeah. Uh, pastor Mitchell taught us that the greatest capital you have is the former pastor. And the people in that church, most of them would love him and have a deep gratitude and have a deep appreciation for his sacrifice. And so one of the things guys can do is be insecure about that. And, um, and so I would tell any pastor that's taking over churches is don't denigrate or put down what he they see as weakness or, or put down the former pastor or be in a hurry to remove his name from everything and don't be impatient with the fact that that uh, they're going to talk about him in glowing yeah. terms yeah. And, right and um, you're going to feel like the visiting evangelist for the first six months <laughs> don't take it yeah. personal don't take it personal because really the ones that meet you at the door and, and proclaim you as God's answer to the church and want to badmouth the former pastor, they're going to hurt. They're going to be the one that hurts you probably yeah, in pastor, the long run. Pastor Greg right. has a line about that. He says, be very careful. The first person to talk bad about the last pastor is probably going to be the first one to talk bad about yep, you. Yep. That's right. <laughs> yep, He's so. already adjusting the crosshairs. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. So, so that's one thing is you just want to, um, build on the former pastor and um, have him back to preach, you know, after a year or so. And and, um, then I I would, I tell guys, allies are better than enemies. Yeah. Build your ally base in the church and spend time getting to know the people and who are they and, you know, who, who are these people, the long-term people, the short-term people and serve them. And you build credibility by helping people. But like I said, nothing is better than gaining momentum in evangelism. And uh, when we went to Vegas, um, one of the things that I did do correct there is that we just hit the ground running. We we just had people saved, people saved, yeah. people saved. And people, you know, we, we were so busy, you know, that people, you know, they, they didn't have time to think about the difference between me and the former guy. We just, we just got busy. And, yeah. um, 
So in an imperfect world, you know, the man who left may have been a scoundrel or a rebel. Right. You just don't have to denigrate the memory of this individual. Just learn to love and lead and fill the church with new converts. Yeah. Preach on the grace of God. Pastor Mitchell used to say, grab the ball and run for the goalposts. And I learned that you you get more done casting the vision than straightening people out. You get more done by inspiring people than coercing their their faithfulness. And given time, um, you will begin to emerge in their minds as you know the the voice of influence, and um, and uh, you'll you'll have you know that credibility that you're longing for. So continuing with that, when you went to take over the church in Kenya, how did you deal with the culture shock there? And then um, twofold for this question, this is actually from one of our listeners. Um, you know, how were you able to con- how are you able to connect with people so well from one nation to the next? So I guess. You know, just both of those questions. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, when I went to Kenya, um, I had to process culture shock. I remember being talked to about it by, by Joe Campbell, and it really helped me. I don't know uh, when he was telling me if I really uh, believed that it, it was going to be as, a, as, as much of a challenge as it ended up being, but it was, it was very, very helpful to me for him to explain culture shock. And cause I always thought culture shock was perhaps having your sensibility shock, you know, maybe some guy relieving himself against the wall or out in public or, you know, garbage or poverty. And um, what was helpful was that he explained to me that culture shock was the removal of reference points. Huh. <laughs> that as human beings, we rely on reference points far more than we're aware. In other words, we wake up and there's familiarity around us. But when you, when you go across the world into another culture, everything's different. All your reference points are gone. I mean, the sounds are different. The smells are different. The money's different the shadows that the sun casts on the ground at the time of day is different. We were went from the Northern hemisphere to the equator. You're just used to it looking a certain way in the morning and in the afternoon. Right. And in some places it's, it's just different. It's upside down. And then you have the language is different and you have the social signals are different. And when you say something to people, and you're res- expecting a response it's different it's all it's all happens at once and it agitates your emotions and you get thrown off your game you get frustrated and you begin to get angry yeah. that's what happens and they go on i've heard you i've heard you refer to these moments as uh missionary moments my wife talks oh we all have them and we all trade our stories and and um but the mistake you can make 
is that you begin to take it out on the people and you begin to criticize them because you feel like what's happening is stupid or it's upside down or it's backwards or it's brain dead. And it's because you're off your game, you're feeling on your back foot, you're making mistakes and, and you just, it just uh, it agitates your emotions. And so you just have to go on a, you have to go on a campaign of discovery and say, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to try to crack the code. That's what I call right. it. You got to crack the code. And so how do you get along with people in other cultures? Well, the way I approached it was two ways. One is there are things about human beings that are common. No matter where you are, they say, they say that the, the, a smile is the universal language. Yeah. Right. There's certain things about human beings. Human beings want to be respected. Human beings want to feel value. Yeah. Human beings are made in the image of God and have eternity in their hearts. And they, they are oppressed by poverty and they, they feel their dignity has been assaulted by things. Sin is cruel. So you, you work on the, on the common things kindness, you know, um, different things, goodwill. People can generally read if you're sincere, you know, they, these are things that are common. And then the other things are a bit of a, a journey where you have to figure it out. Yeah. You have to figure out, you know, when I realized, I thought, you know, every day when these people get up in the morning and they put their feet on the ground, they're on a different page, man. Yeah. They have a different value system. They have a different sense of humor, which is really disorienting when you rely on sarcasm, you know, <laughs> so much when you're preaching and, and you're used to seeing the laugh lines in the right place in your sermon. And then you try it and you get si you get stony silence, you know, and you think, what the heck, man? And then you find out what, what they think is funny, you find bizarre. You know, you, and it's a sense of humor. You get a whole revelation about what that means, right. you know, that. So if you can be large hearted, Pastor um, Campbell said, Tom, he said, I've noticed missionaries. He said, either their hearts are enlarged or it shrivels up like a prune. Wow. And so we were on guard for that. And that really helped me. Right. Um, because in those moments of frustration, you have to watch what you say. You have to watch yeah. your attitude. And we kind of made a pact in our family or me and my wife, especially that one of us needs to stay right with God at any given moment. One of us <laughs> needs to yeah. stay filled with the Holy Ghost with a good attitude. Pull each and, other back down to earth. Yeah, and yeah. just try to balance each other out because yeah. it is incredibly unnerving. And so I used to just get up when I got in my car and I had to drive to the church, 25-minute high-stakes video game, all kinds of madness, you know, <laughs> and vehicles and goats walking out in front of you, and, you know, potholes <laughs> and danger. And I thought, okay, I'm the, I'm the boy who fell to earth today. <laughs> Just pretending I've just landed on this planet and I got to learn the rules. Right. And I would just chill out and ask God to help me. And I asked lots of questions 
I talked to Kenyans. I used to have coffee with my landlord. He was an unsaved businessman. as a good guy. I would witness to him, but then I'd ask him questions. Yeah. I remember going to the Christian bookstore in Nairobi and I bought books written by converted Kenyans. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's neat. Totally set me free, man. Totally set. Because they explained themselves. Yeah. They explained why Westerners struggle. And they explained how they viewed money and how they viewed time and how they value honesty versus deception. And so it wasn't automatic, but. Do you remember was, any of those uh, books at all? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, if you mention some, then we can put some in the uh, description as well. I don't know if you're going to find them, but. Okay. <laughs> Zachariah, Zacharias Tani Fomum was the name of the Kenyan man. And he would, you know, I don't remember the title of the books, but I bought a couple of books from him. And he explained the way Kenyans view time. He explained the way Kenyans view money. He explained the, um, the value system of respect and disrespect in the Kenyan culture. And I thought, you could live here your whole life and miss this. Right, yeah. When I, when I got a hold of this, I had, I had some new weapons. I had some new tells that I could, um, I could work with my disciples because I, I figured them out. I figured out why they're doing what they're doing and, and what it is that the pathologies of culture yeah. have a scriptural antidote. Okay, so, so that's the, that, it kind of leads me to the question that I, I'm kind of formulating here. Were there ever any situations where, um, you know, you have to, when you're, when you're in a foreign nation and we're called to kind of be the salt of the earth and, and come against the cultural tides, right? You know, you, you, you do have to blend and adapt to some degree, I'm sure, yeah. but you also have to contradict and say, no, this is wrong, you know, and in, in the West, in, in America, in, you know, the Western world generally, uh, known as formerly as Christendom. There's a lot of Christian influence in our culture, you know, even though it doesn't really show as much today in America with, you know, a lot of the stuff that's going on politically. But culturally, we are, you know, brought up with so much Christian value in, ingrained into the West. Were there ever situations where you said, no, what you're doing culturally, it it's anti-biblical. It's, it's unacceptable Absolutely. to God. Yeah, absolutely. Can you give me um, some examples? Yeah. Um, but, but just to set it up, um, yeah. what I would tell people is that, um, that culture is not evil. Right. Culture right. is the type of food you like to eat. Culture is, you know, the type of music you listen to and what the devil does because he's he's a wicked genius. We, we, we say the devil's a liar, but he's a brilliant liar. Mm -hmm. And what he does is he weaves his deception into culture almost to where it's hard to separate them. And this is where the whole racial tensions come from. And they they yeah. say things like, you know, you are imposing your your Anglo culture on us and we are this and you're that. And, and that's part of the genius of the devil is that he weaves evil yeah. and witchcraft 
and the pathologies right into the the fabric of culture right and it takes skill and wisdom to to separate them yeah right? yeah so the first thing i would tell them is i would say um you you view america as christian but i i'm here to tell you that that america has its own cultural pathologies right yeah yeah and i would say east coast versus west coast different you know different uh, parts of the country have their own distinctives but every culture has its pathologies that have to be dealt with mindsets value yeah. systems so you you have to get them to understand that it's all about whether you have a biblical worldview or a, an unbiblical worldview. If you have a biblical worldview, then you view everything through the lens of scripture. Yeah. Yep. And that's going to measure and it's going to justify or condemn everything about our cultures. And that um if you can if you can not become defensive not not everything about african culture is is wrong there are sure, some things sure. that americans could learn yeah from african yeah. culture and 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 you would learn to give credit where credit's due yeah. yeah and then you would begin to then help them to see um that i'm not here to turn you into an american I'm here to turn you into Christians. Yeah. Yeah. And the is, challenge that is that something that you ran into a lot was people thinking that you were there to try to turn them into Americans. Well, not only that, but they wanted you to, I mean, <laughs> oh, okay. in, at least okay. in Kenya, they, they think everything about America is wonderful. Yeah. They think everything about America is desirable and it's because of the prosperity. Sure. And, um, and, and I have a, I have sermons that I can only preach in Kenya. One of them is called Christians, not Westerners. And I would, I would constantly talk about culture. I, and the way I would begin is I'd say, first of all, um, for you to say the gospel is a white man's religion is incredibly um, un, uninformed. Yeah. Because uh, the, you know, the, the, if you, if you rewind the tape, when Noah got off the boat and Shem, Ham, and Japheth were his sons, mm -hmm. everybody on earth was serving the God of the Bible. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yep. So then Ham went south and became the African cultures. Uh, Japheth went north and became the Anglo cultures. Shem went east and became what they call the Mongoloid cultures. Right. And they and their descendants backslid into witchcraft and idolatry. So when somebody says to you that you've abandoned your um, your identity and your heritage because you are serving the God of the Bible, you say, no, you're not rewinding the tape far enough. Yeah, yeah, you're actually All returning to it. Yeah, and that's why Peter says you have returned to the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Wow, yeah. So first of all, you got to reset in their minds that the only reason why the gospel is called the white man's religion is because a swarthy Mediterranean Jew uh, named Joseph of Arimathea got on a Phoenician ship and sailed up to Britannia within five years of the resurrection with a number of the, the early believers, landed on the shores of that barbaric island where my ancestors were running around naked in front of Stonehenge eating each other. <laughs> yeah. 
committing vile incest. Yep. Yeah. And they began to preach the gospel to these these um, savages, Harry Potter, witchcraft yep. laden um, barbarians. Yep. And the first converts said, "You are leaving the white man's religion for the brown man's religion." Mm-hmm. Right. And and but what happened is revival broke out, and God literally gave that little island the earth. There was a time when the sun never set on the British Empire. Right. And and I believe it was largely due to the fact that the gospel had so penetrated that culture that they sent missionaries all over the world. Yeah. But the truth is, and this really worked with the Native Americans in the Southwest, is Abraham was a Shemite. He wasn't, he wasn't Anglo-Saxon. He was a Shemite. And the Shemites were the same ones that came across the Bering Strait into North America and became the Native Americans. Wow. So I said, you know, Jesus is a closer cousin brother to you Navajos than us white people. <laughs> See, just apply, free, yeah. apply some, some uh, you know, interpolated Tom Paine history into whatever culture you go into. Yeah, there you go. And bring it all home. <laughs> and and the truth is it set him free. Yeah. And I yeah. said, so why, why did God take away the land in Africa and give it to the to to the colonies, the colonialists? Because that's a that's a that's a hurtful subject. Yeah. And I said, so you can't have this pre- premise that says anytime land is taken away from one people group by another people group that it's evil, because look at the Jews. God, the God of the Bible said to Joshua, I'm going to take the land away from these Canaanites and I'm going to give it to you. Why? Not because you're better than them, but because their religion is demon worshiping, incestuous, violent, and vile. Yeah. Does that ring any bells? Mm-hmm. Because you, yeah. you, you rewind the tape in any culture, be it. Yeah. Anglo culture or the Native American culture, the African culture, pre-word of God, you would have those witchcraft, sexually perverted, demon-possessed, idolatrous cultures. I said, God, you know, God allowed there to be um, this nation called England to uh, colonize the world because on the heels of it came the gospel. I said, but you got to understand something. America and England are post-Christian nations. Yeah. Yeah. And they're backslidden mm-hmm. at best. And I said, I, I have no doubt that one day the evangelists from the third world are going to rise up and reach the heathen in some of these nations. Wow. Yeah. And I yeah. said, so if you want, you were given back your land eventually, and you're given back sovereignty over your nation if you want to keep it then you need to return to the shepherd and bishop of your soul you wow. need to you need to forsake the parts of culture that are demonic that have curses that are contrary to scripture and embrace the truth not because you're becoming westerners you're becoming christians yeah wow so that was how we began to get on the subject of culture and once they embrace that and have the boldness to challenge their own people and say, no, I'm not abandoning my ancestry. 
I am returning to the God of truth. Yeah. And you need to do the same. Yeah. Wow. And, and in a sense, you're casting the vision that, you know, while you look around and you say, oh, well, we're in the third world. What, what effect can we have on the nations? You're saying, actually, no, you guys returning, you know, to the God of your ancestors, the God of truth are going to have more an effect, more of an effect than you could possibly imagine in the, uh, in the grand scheme of history. If you, if you will stick with that, that's interesting. You can cast the vision onto, uh, you know, the third world and begin to pull them out of that, that mindset of, of, you know, this is my culture. This is what I do. Well, I feel like if, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that they get so defensive, um, about their cultures because that's just really what they cling on to, right? I mean, f- for a lot of people, their culture is their identity. And for them to give that up, even even the struggle to become a Christian and to judge those things in your culture, you're still almost giving a part of you away to learn something new or to follow something new and to create a new identity in Christ. I think that can be part of it. Um, I think added to that is you have the devil who raises up, you know, bullhorns and, and, and loudspeakers that, that are proclaiming racism and hatred and, 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 you know, identity politics and this and that. Yeah. And, and that somehow that resonates in our fallen nature. Yeah. But I think really the average person is really not as, um, taken in by that i would say the converts we were reaching they know that they're they know that what's what they're involved in is not working they they know it's not working it's there's they they have an incredible awareness of the demonic they have an incredible fear of the curse because of the witchcraft and the cursings and the medicine men and the uh, the culture of jealousy and 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 when they hear that Jesus Christ will give them authority over the devil, man, that is powerful. Yeah, they love that and they have faith. And there's always people that marvel at how often third world healing crusades produce such tangible demonstrative miracles. And many times it's because these people have a spiritual view and they know the devil's real. They don't have any trouble believing right. in casting out demons. But what happens is there there's fear that runs in the background that like in, in, in the Kenyan culture, if you do not honor your dead ancestors who live around you in the um, invisible plane, they will curse your children. Oh, wow. So they want to be Christians, but they're afraid that if they don't participate in these superstitious aspects, that somehow it's going to hurt them or their children, they have to be disabused of that. Yeah. And they have to say, no, you don't need to fear this. You need to understand that participating in it is what curses it. And when they, when they uh, embrace that, it sets them free. Right. And they're far more effective in convincing their culture of the pathologies of their own culture than than I am. Once they grab it, they can with greater authority yeah. help their own people. Yep. Yeah, with a lot of that stuff you were talking about, I feel like you know, definitely here in the states people that haven't traveled or 
been immersed in another nation are so ignorant to things like being like witch doctors and things of that nature just um you know my wife is mexican and just her telling stories of her growing up in mexico it's just they're they're just so much more in tune with a spiritual world regardless of whether it's good or bad they're just more in tune with it than than here growing up in the states that's an advantage it's one of like i would say as as africans or even native americans you have an advantage over us westernized people because pastor mitch used to describe that we have a two-tiered view of the spiritual realm and that two-tiered view means we live on earth and we have this real experience and there's sickness and disease and it's viruses and bacteria and then there's the heavenly, which is like way up there. It's almost like a story or a legend. And there's no connection, really. Most Westerners are taught, you know, that um, all physical sickness is the result of uh, DNA or, or an infection. And it's treated by antibiotics. Whereas the Bible and most of the human race has a three-tiered view of life and that is that there's the earthly and the heavenly but in between there's the spiritual realm and that's where there's a connection right. between your health and the spiritual realm and they believe that they know that's true yeah. and we find it awkward only because we've had it pounded out of us it's sort of a like a hyper materialism it's it's extremely it's extremely taboo to us yeah it's it's secular and atheistic is yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's most of the world does not live there. Atheism is a rare, bizarre, and very fractional view held by very few people on planet Earth. Yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah, and and it's so funny because um, I've traveled to a lot of different places around the world, and it's crazy. No, there's so many people here in the United States. It's it's almost like tunnel vision. If you live in the United States, a lot of people only know what's going on here. They don't know what's going on anywhere else around the world. But everywhere else around the world knows what's going on where they're at and in the United States. You know, so I just I always find that extremely interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I tell people even even here in Australia. They, um. We, we, we talk about Americans. I said, so I can sum up Americans very easy. I say, what do you say about a nation who invents a sport and calls it baseball and does not invite anyone else to play and calls the championship the World the Series? World Series. <laughs> that's, all, that's all you need to know about America. <laughs> because we are so myopic. We, yeah. are, we are the world. Yeah. There's us and everybody else. And, yeah. uh, but you're right that most of the rest of the world looks to America because of its prosperity, Yeah, but they have a wider take on life. Yeah, definitely. So um, I got to ask because um, uh, I'm married to your daughter. Uh, the question is, how did you raise such amazing daughters? And to give it a wider perspective, and a wider answer maybe we can kind of sum this whole thing together because as you're going around your you know your first your first position was in las vegas you were your wife was eight months pregnant so clearly delivered in las vegas had a baby uh you raised uh, three daughters in 
you know, three nations of the world, uh, you know, multiple cities, multiple landscapes, different cultures, different situations. Um, and so the question is true. I mean, because because your daughters are they are they are incredible women. My wife, especially, you know, Melissa, if you're listening, which she is. She's our number one fan, of course. <laughs> Uh, you, you raised amazing, you raised amazing girls. And so, um, give me the, the sort of pastoral perspective on raising a, a well-rounded family while also, uh, having a successful and the amazing daughters part of the question, but it's, um, well, listen, I, I don't know that I, um, could point to one thing. I am very grateful that my three daughters are all saved and have decided for faith and have valued the kingdom of God. And that's very gratifying to me. But I, if I was to take a stab at it, I would just try to say, you know, we, we decided to put the kingdom of God first. Um, that was our heart and our goal. We were willing to take the risks, you know, of going when, you know, when uh, wasn't the perfect moment, there was a need. Um, my wife had a lot to do with that, obviously, because yeah. um, she was willing to do this and she was willing to follow and she was converted and, and believed with me in the vision of our fellowship and that God had called us to something that he was going to look after us. We decided that this was more important than other people's opinions it was more important than our extended family's opinions yeah. of where we were going to go and what we were going to do. And she decided she would be a stay at home mom and, um, and uh, value that role, even though culture uh, was pointing to other, other things as being valuable. So I would give lots of credit to my wife, but all three of my children, and it just happened to be three daughters that were born and raised on the go. <laughs> and um, we had a adult centered home that was founded on primarily obedience to the call of God and that we're heading toward eternity. Yeah. So they were expected to fit into that. Hmm. Um, we always spoke to our kids about the privilege of being in ministry. Um, there's obviously sacrifices and there's obviously a price to pay, but we always talked about the privilege of ministry and what we get to do hmm. yeah. and, and how incredible that is compared to our upbringing and the advantages that we have knowing Christ and being in a fellowship where marriage is understood. We talked about the honor that we felt it was to represent Christ and win people to Jesus. And so we would always take our kids with us on outreach. It was Saturday pioneering. It was, you know, get the kids up, fill them with a heavy breakfast and spend many of the next hours of the day, just doing what we can to build a church. I would say um, added to that, my children never heard a negative word about our fellowship or leaders, yeah, our standards. Um, we would, would when when they were appropriate to hear would elevate the history of our fellowship, the miracle 
we never glorified our sinful lives. We, they knew that we were sinners. Right. And we'd say we were sinners and we were involved in things. And I would mention drugs and alcohol, but we never romanticized right. it. We never um, made it look appealing. Um, you know, I found that when I got with my old friends, sometimes in fellowship, you can get to laughing and you can get to joking about that part of your life. And, but I was always very careful to not romanticize our, our sinful life. We would try not to run down the city or the church or the people. Um, I think added to that, we always taught them that they weren't Christians just because they were along for the ride. Right. That, that obviously as they lived in our home, they were going to comply, but they needed to be born again. Yeah. We would challenge them. Are you born again? Are you saved? Yeah. Would the rapture happen? And I, I don't mean freaking out a kid that's too young to process that, but I mean age appropriate. Yeah. Um, we, we would try to explain to them the reason we're different is because we have a biblical worldview. We're right. reading the instructions, whereas people that <laughs> you're going to school with, they're not reading the instructions. They don't see the world the way yeah. we see it mm-hmm. and that we have an advantage. Sometimes there's a reproach. Sometimes people don't like that. And we taught our kids to hold their head high and bear the reproach. Yeah. So you're either Jesus's friend or you're not. I said, how would you feel if, if somebody would pretend to be your friend when they were alone with you, but when they're around other people would kick you to the curb? You can't kick Jesus to the curb. Yeah. Um, so I would explain um, the need for testimony an example, but you know, the other thing I would say that we did is we always tried to have a good time. <laughs> we always tried to have fun. Yeah. We always tried to, you know, we, you know, we had certain sayings in our family. No one has as much fun as we do. Yeah. You know, if you talk to my girls, there's certain things. Nobody has a right to be weird. Yeah. One of yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I tell people, huh? Pastor Hart has a great saying. Uh, when we, uh, yeah, the other day we got kicked out of Walmart street preaching inside Walmart. And he says, Oh boy, I tell you, that's good. Clean Christian fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It sure that's is. Exactly right. <laughs> and so long before the proverb in my church was nobody has a right to be weird. <laughs> I tell people that it, it began in my family. And that is yeah. that I, I let my kids know that it, it is forbidden for my offspring to act weird in public. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I'm going to take that one. Just so you know. That's a good so one. that that presupposes <laughs> weirdness at home. That's okay. We're all a little weird. Yeah. But we expect you to be socialized. We yeah. expect you to represent. You don't have to be perfect. But we had a good time. I we we would take time with our kids. Um, I tried to take time with my children. I tried to take time with my little girls and with boys. It's no different. If you have sons, there's they, they want to do different things than girls. Yeah. But if you take time with them and you have a, an authority that you don't surrender, you have standards and consistency. I believe that if you're legit, if you are what you are at home and they don't see like two different human beings, and again, it doesn't mean you're perfect. And then you can uh, make serving God, uh, um, 
correctly be viewed as the most advantageous way to live life and then just have a good time and then and insist that they have a relationship with god yeah i would have put it to that and i would put it to a wife that's willing that was willing to be a wife and a stay-at-home mom and uh, put value on the will of god um, i think god then gets involved and does the rest very good so so now kind of with this next chapter if you will in your life now you all of your kids are grown and out of the house and you're you and your wife um are in are, are in australia so how has that been how is how is it being uh uh, leader in Australia. Yeah, it's just one of the great privileges of my life um, to pastor here. This is a beautiful city, incredible people group with an incredible heritage with Pastor Mitchell's ministry. Um, you know, I like to tell people that I don't view myself as a proper missionary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I read missionary biographies and I, I see what people have gone through and I look at what I have the privilege of doing and, and being. Um, it's, it's amazing because, you know, up till this COVID hit, we, we've been able to come home three times a year, sometimes four times a year. Um, we, we, the way we process life is no matter where we are, we would be pastoring somewhere, and it's likely that our children and grandchildren wouldn't be living in the same neighborhood. And so how often would we see our kids and grandkids? Maybe three or four times a year. Right. Yeah. So we've been incredibly blessed to be able to continue to do that for the last 12 years. And again, up until the COVID thing, which has kind of put a, put a pause on that. Um, it's just been amazing. Um, it's been an amazing experience for me to um, experience this level of fruitfulness with discipleship and church planting. And uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been a great privilege, more than I deserve. If you've listened to today's featured guest and are stirred by their words, please contact us at don'tsellthefarmph at gmail.com. We'd love to let them know that they encouraged you. If you're not right with God and you're listening to this podcast, Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you would like to give your life to Jesus as our featured guest, our hosts, and many millions of others have, simply repeat this prayer after me. Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. From this moment forward, I turn from my sins. Please come into my heart and change me. Make me a new creation in Christ. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you gave your life to Christ because of this podcast, please contact us and let us know. We would love to help you find a church home.